Now it's time for Inspirational Women, and my guest, Judith Matloff, a journalism professor at Columbia University. She's also a media safety advocate. Judith's career began as a foreign correspondent, so traveling to hotspots around the globe. These experiences led her to write this newest book, How to Drag a Body and Other Safety Tips You Hope to Never Need. I know that you're going to find much relevance on what Judith has to say and application to our lives. Judith Mathloff, good morning and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. Good morning. It's great to be here. I am so excited to have you share with us uh, at least as many experiences and really important life-saving tips from this incredible book, How to Drag a Body and Other Safety Tips You Hope to Never Need. And, you know, of course, How to Drag a Body, we just have these, I think I have, just these crazy pictures of what that might mean. But I think you're you're saying this in in all seriousness of how to save someone. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not advising people how to drag a corpse. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's how to drag um how, how to extract somebody from let's say an automobile accident or let's say some rubble in an earthquake fault on someone and you've got to get them to a place of safety where they can get medical attention. So that's the sort of thing. Yes. Um that I'm referring to. Great. So that, though, kind of gives us the foundation of what we're looking at in terms of, uh, well, you it, the title goes on to say survival tricks. So at this time in a, the pandemic, for one, is, is a big basis for this conversation, but we've also had a, a lot of protests going on and that kind of unrest. Here, this book is great tips and guidance for us to be able to do this safely and really take good care of ourselves. Yeah, I mean, certainly now what we're living through right now with the global pandemic, um, I think it's heightened a lot of people's consciousness and attention to how do we prepare for dangerous events that we might foresee or not foresee, and how do we cope with them when we're actually going through them. And this kind of came upon us in a way, there was a little bit of attention given to it, but I think it still really caught most of us by surprise, would you say? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And the the main message of the book is to imagine the worst case scenario of a situation, imagine what would happen if a dangerous system really uh, situation escalated, and think about how you would mitigate those dangers and deal with them so that you're not suffering from the worst of it. So to that um, end, if people knew about the virus in January, and knew that it was spreading at an incremental rate all over the world, it was just a matter of anticipating that it would come to the United States at some point, and at that point, come up with a plan to try to mitigate its effects on your own life. So it's forward thinking, and it's also psychologically going to a place that is sometimes uncomfortable, but if you prepare for something and have an active plan, you're actually going to feel more in control when it happens. And so that preparedness, it's a word that really comes up throughout your book, and it is a a really important foundation. Absolutely. And, you know, planning is, is, is such a 
simple thing. For instance, I would recommend that everybody have a very well-stocked medical kit in their house. You just never know when a finger is going to be cut off when you're cooking or you know, you're going to get severely burned you know, again at the barbecue or somebody that you really love is suddenly in a car accident. You just never know these things are going to happen. But if you have basic emergency first aid training and you have a very well-stocked medical kit, you're all set. So that's just one example. Another example would be natural disasters. Many of us live in areas where there have been recurring natural disasters or could be. So on the Pacific Northwest Coast, I would advise, for instance, that everybody think through how they would deal with a very, very severe tsunami or earthquake. Come up with a plan now. Get the safety gear and the evacuation plan and whatever you would need to deal with that situation. But think about it now. So if, God forbid, it happens in a month or five years from now, you already have a plan. And, you know, to that point, Judith, I know over the years there's always uh, a a time that we, uh, during the year, that we have these drills and the list of things to do to prepare in case you there is an earthquake, which at some point there will be, and we've had them. Uh, so if we really had taken that seriously and stocked up on what was re- recommended, we wouldn't have had that reaction back in March where everybody was just, you know, in a panic and buying up everything that they could see in sight. Right, absolutely. And, you know, because my husband and I were foreign correspondents for decades and we had worked in crisis zones in Africa, Latin America, he worked a bit in Asia, um, we worked in the, the former Soviet Union, we sort of are, have this kind of, I wouldn't quite say prepper, but we have this sort of, let's be ready for an emergency just in case. So we always have about a month's supply of of food, that non-perishable food. We always have a month's supply of um, what a lot of people were stocking up on, which is toilet paper and wipes. We always have gloves. And we happen to have had N95 masks in our basement. And so when the pandemic hit New York and New York became the epicenter for the world, we actually, my husband was in Europe at the time working. I was up at a writer's retreat in upstate New York, and our son was at college in California. So none of us were on base, but we didn't have to worry when we finally got back here at the height of the pandemic, because we already had all the supplies that everybody else was running around going crazy trying to buy. And that really then illustrates how we can have a little more calmness when disaster does strike because that preparation is already in place. You had it in place, and so to get home was great. Yeah. I I mean, you know, we didn't want to get home (laughs) through a pandemic. No. But but there wasn't that horrible panic that so many people experience of going to the store and seeing an empty shelf. I mean, that's just, it's a very, very scary, disturbing thing to go to a store to get emergency supplies and know that you can't get them. So my advice to people right now is um, just be ready in case there is another lockdown. Just have all your supplies at home just in case. Have enough extra cash, have enough extra food, have enough, again, medical supplies. Just keep everything stocked up now just as a matter of, of habit so that if this hits or something else hits, you are prepared. 
Exactly. We've had a, a lesson that was a serious lesson and to to learn from it because hopefully it doesn't happen, but certainly the predictions are that there could be this second wave in it and who knows what that might be like. Right, so get your toilet paper now. <laughs> yes. but, but also also shop wisely. I must say I, I was puzzled as were many doctor friends of mine, why everybody were, was rushing out and buying bales of toilet paper? Because <laughs> this is largely a respiratory disease. Um, but it is a basic supply. And I think, you know, people were thinking of what basics might run out and what do I need in my daily life? But shop wisely. Yes, exactly. And it- you know, the stores do, you know, thankfully, these people are, are real heroes, along with the medical people in their arena, that they have opened the stores. So and they keep getting the supplies in. So it's not as though right. we have to stock up for a year. Right. Yeah, right. I wouldn't recommend stocking up for a year. <laughs> right. Now, another big thing that's going on in our country with all the unrest is is the protests. You address this as well as to how to approach this in a safe way. Yeah, I actually have an entire chapter about um, going to protests that could turn violent. And also I have a in, within that chapter is also a, a lot of information about active shooters and school shootings. Um, the thing about these demonstrations, you had a double challenge, which was there was a lot of violence, there was a lot of confusion, and also then there was the pandemic. So my advice to people going to demonstrations, knowing that we have these two potential risks, is always stay on the edge of the demonstration. If you get caught into the middle of the crowd, you can't extract yourself, and you're more likely to be trapped. And also, if you're on the edge of the crowd, you can exercise some social distancing. So that would be my biggest piece of advice to people going forward. Stay on the edge and the whole time, stay very alert to what's happening. Uh, The mood of a crowd and the mood of the police can shift very, very quickly. And so aside from scoping out your exit route and leaving um, your path open to getting away very quickly, you need to be continually alert to any adrenalized uh, confrontation in the crowd. And normally you can tell right away that things are heating up because people start shouting at each other and they start provoking each other. And that's your sign right there to really, really move to the edge. You don't want to be trapped in the middle. The second thing I would recommend is think very carefully about what sort of crowd control tactics the um, law enforcement use and wear protective gear accordingly. So if tear gas and pepper spray are common, you obviously want to protect your, your skin and you want to protect your eyes with goggles. You want to cover up your skin. You want to carry uh, bottles of water so you can flush out your eyes. Um, if they're prone to bopping people on the head, you, or if there's a lot of projectiles being thrown by either side, either the law enforcement or the protesters, you want to wear a helmet. Even a bike helmet is fine. So that would be some of my advice to people. The other thing which I think is absolutely critical is carry a lot of spare masks. That, that way, if you're standing next to people who aren't wearing them, you can offer it to them. And also, if there is tear gas and pepper spray, your mask is going to become contaminated with these chemicals. 
and you'll need to throw it away. But if you have spares in a waterproof bag, then you can just uh, replenish your, your mask wearing. And given how we want to be supportive in whichever way, being able to think this through before ever venturing out, as you've just outlined for us, Judith, I think really is going to keep us safe and keep our wits about us so that we're not drawn up into the emotion and and then sucked like into the center of the crowd. Yeah. I mean, for instance, another thing I would recommend is before you head out, aside from uh, researching what sort of crowd control tactics um, the law enforcement use, think about who the organizers are. Is this a gathering which has a permit? Because if it doesn't, you can predict that the law enforcement will react in a more forceful way. Is this a crowd that tends to be very confrontational with law enforcement? Because if that's the case, then you can pretty much assume that there is going to be some violence. So do as much planning and, and research as you can ahead of time. And if you think there's a chance that you could be swept up in a crowd and be arrested, whether or not you've done anything, you might want to have on your person the contact of a lawyer that you can contact. Um, it could be somebody from the local branch of the ACLU or the National Lawyers Guild, or it could be a personal lawyer or maybe, you know, for instance, we journalists, we have newsroom uh, legal counsel. But I think you want that on you just in case. And again, I just want to stress just in case. People get swept up into dragnets who have not done anything wrong. Uh, law enforcement will just kind of swoop in and they'll kettle people and move them in. So you want to be prepared just in case. All such great words of wisdom. And this book is so great as you know, we've already touched on so many important things in our lives. How to Drag a Body and Other Safety Tips You Hope You Never Need, Survival Tricks for Hacking, Hurricanes, and Hazards hazards Life Might Throw at You. So it's readily available. Uh, these days, the e-books are so great to have because they're, they're just easily accessible. Although shipments are happening, so a hardcover is good as well. And and Judith, we should mention you have a website if people want to really check out more information. Yeah, it's www.judithmatloff.com. And I also have a lot of information there about the training that I do. I used to just train journalists going into dangerous situations, but I've had so many queries from the public uh, of how to secure their uh, digital and mobile communications, how they deal with sexual assault and sexual harassment, how they deal with natural disasters, how they deal with school shootings, how they deal with demonstrations, how they deal with travel danger, and also just how to develop emotional resistance, uh, emotional resilience. So we've opened up the workshops to ordinary people as well. And actually, that was the point of the book, because I have been doing for Nearly 20 years, I've been training journalists who go into very dangerous situations. And ordinary people, you know, my sister, a social worker, my neighbor, the plumber, um, a friend whose daughter was going abroad, a junior abroad to the Middle East, people started asking me safety questions. And I suddenly thought, why don't I just put this all in a book and make it accessible to more people? 
And well, we are the uh, really fortunate beneficiaries of that to have your wealth of experience because as you're sharing your in the book, when you first went out uh, to do your foreign co- corresponding, you didn't you were so naive. It's amazing you're still alive, Judith. Yeah, I was a total idiot. <laughs> I mean, when I started out like a million years ago, we didn't have safety protocols. Like you're, you know, you'd get on an airplane, your boss would say, good luck, uh, hope you do a good job, you're going to get the stories. And nobody taught you how to duck gunfire. Uh, I mean, I did some incredibly stupid things. Like nobody told me you're not supposed to run towards gunfire. So I would hear it and I'd think, oh, I better check it out because I'm a journalist. Nobody taught me like you're not supposed to do that. Um, Another thing that nobody taught me and I didn't have enough common sense was that um, you shouldn't just get on a, a diamond smuggling airplane and fly to a place where the phone system doesn't work because in case anything happens, nobody's going to know you're there. I mean, it's such a total lack of common sense and also a, a lack of uh, knowledge. You know, there was a lack of common sense, but it was largely a lack of knowledge of and a lack of planning for these situations. So. When I returned back to the States 20 years ago and began teaching at the Columbia University Graduate School of Journalism, I began to incorporate safety training into my courses because I felt that I didn't want the new generation of journalists to make the absolute ridiculous mistakes that I did. Because they might certainly not be as fortunate as you were. And what a life lesson you lived to be able to go through all that, survive, and then, you know, be this uh, wonderful lecturer, teacher, professor, and author. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Yeah, but again, I mean, you know, we, we live at a time, particularly with the pandemic, where it's a very disturbing time and people are quite, you know, understandably very unsettled. But again, I can't stress enough, if you think about what's concerning you and you make a plan to try to mitigate whatever danger it is and to think about how you would cope with it, you really will have a sense of greater control. And certainly going forward, you know, things are opening up, but in order to still we are responsible for our own self. And so we need to approach this. If we're going to fly somewhere, really think through how all of that works. Right, Judith? Yeah. I mean, I actually just wrote a piece that just ran today in Psychology Today about travel safety, um, which is a very complicated um, arena at the moment. Uh, Where you travel uh, the safety of where you travel obviously depends on what the transmission rate is in that area. But probably flying at the moment is one of the most dangerous things you can do. So if you really, really need to get on a plane, only fly with an airline, which does have the social distancing where the middle seat is not occupied. And make sure that you wear a mask the entire time. I would even recommend wearing a face shield your most dangerous place on the airline is probably the bathroom because it's a very small space and there's absolutely no ventilation. So as uncomfortable as this may seem, try to avoid using the bathroom at the airport terminal as well as on the airplane. Wow. Really basic, important information. Uh, and 
it makes sense. That's the preparation. So, you know, don't take any beverages on board. Uh, refrain from anything they might serve. <laughs> right? All of that. Yeah, I mean, flying is not a very comfortable um, mode of transport at the moment. Obviously, the safest way to, trans- to, to travel is to within your own car with people who you trust who have been taking precautions. Amtrak, uh, at least here on the East Coast, you can open the windows of the Amtrak trains, so there's no cross-ventilation. There is no social distancing on buses. Uh, Generally, you can open a window on a bus, but what what your, your main concern should be when traveling is ventilation. People are less likely to get sick if they're outdoors, and also if they're with a very small group of people. So, for instance, staying in an Airbnb, which has been properly ventilated and cleaned, is probably very, very safe. Whereas if you're staying in a hotel on the 16th floor and you have to get into small elevators and the cafe does not have uh, ventilation, the risk of transmission is greater. So if you do have to stay in a hotel up for the lowest floor possible so that you can avoid the stairwells, and the elevators, which have less ventilation. And, you know, as you say that and we think about it, it's so much common sense. But we've been on such almost remote control, just doing things blithely, that uh, this is really a wake-up call to stop, think about things, and use that preparation time. Right. And I want to stress to, to listeners that it sounds like a lot of work, to think this through and to plan. But once you've thought it through, you you have your plan. And it actually saves you a lot of worry and running around with anxiety later on. You're basically front-loading your work. And again, with the travel, this sounds like a lot of things to consider, but now you've considered it, you have the guidelines, and then you can make a less anxiety-driven decision about your travel because you're armed with facts, that ventilation is very important, control of where you stay and your transport is very important. So once you have those two basic facts, the process of booking your holiday or your travel becomes less anxiety-driven. And so to that point, as you mentioned earlier, the book covers emotional resilience and Obviously, that's an important factor. So the preparation helps with calming the stress. Uh, But there are some other very basic things that are just part of life that maybe we forget about that are part of that. Yeah, I mean, this is a time where emotional resilience is really needed. And my advice to people, um, which I take from having worked in war zones for many years, is don't project too much into the future because that makes you really anxious. We live in a very uncertain, unsettled time right now, but we really don't know what the world is going to look like in six months. We don't. So try not to worry, if you can, about what might happen in the medium and long term. Try to just get through the day right now. Maybe the furthest you want to think through is a week, but try not to project too much into a time when you don't know what the circumstances will be like. And the other thing I want to stress is is psychologists who specialize in crises and war and natural disasters and emergencies, they say the one thing that helps emotional resilience during a crisis, 
more than anything else is social contact and social support. So I think what, um, you know, humans are very adaptable and we have survival instincts. And I think once the social distancing happening happened and everybody started doing Zoom cocktails at five o'clock, that was a perfect example of the human spirit um, doing what it should do, which is connecting with people. So again, I can't stress enough, um, really keep your social networks firm, uh, surround yourself, even if it's just via video or phone, with people who make you feel loved and supported, and talk through with people, debrief what you're going through, but keep that social connection alive, because that's what's going to help you most to get through this. Such great wisdom. Uh, And in a way, it's very simple and you know, when you think about it, should just be the uh, foundations of our life, the preparation, the connections, and just not living way into the future, really savoring the moment. Yeah. Um, The other big piece of advice I would give for emotional resiliency is physical resiliency. Uh, The other thing that, again, it's common sense, but we all tend to forget it, Try to get on a regular sleep schedule. You've got to get enough rest because if you don't get enough rest, you're more vulnerable to anxiety and depression. Eat regularly and really, really well and get exercise. Exercise is absolutely critical to emotional stability. It's absolutely critical. It's a way to release the anxiety. It's a way to um, sleep better at night. It will help your appetite. So again, take really good care of yourself physically, because without even realizing it, that is going to have a very big impact on your emotional state. And however that might work, whether it's in our home, in our backyard, or as you said, you're going to actually, with New York opening up, after this, you're going to be going out and taking your your jog in the park. Yeah, and actually, I did that throughout the whole lockdown, Ah. because I, I kept a really good close um, monitoring of what the scientists were saying. And I think we need to stress that because we know very little about the disease. And each week we're learning something new. So very early on, it became apparent that if I wore a mask and I was outdoors in a non-crowded place where I could socially distance, I would be safe. So pretty much from the moment the lockdown began, I made a point of going outside for an hour every day and getting exercise. And I was very, very careful about maintaining distance from people going to a park, which is not heavily populated. But I got that exercise. I got that vitamin D from the sunshine. And I also saw people when I left. You know, I may not have known them. They were strangers. But there was a lovely sense of humanity, of being out in the world, as opposed to just being locked down with my family. And, and, uh, you know, the science had indicated that it was safe to do this. So I did. But... I wasn't really going into stores. I wasn't really going indoors where the ventilation wasn't good and and which were very crowded. But being outside, if you can stay away from people, keep a distance and wear a mask, you're, you're absolutely fine. So great. It, you are just such an inspiration. I am just so thrilled that you are doing the work that you do, that you've spent time with us this morning. And for us now, we get our copy of How to Drag a Body and Other Safety Tips You Hope You Never Need. And also, let's mention again your website, Judith, because we said there's just such a wealth of information there. Yeah, it's www.judithmatloff, 
and that's M-A-T-L-O-F-F, as in French fries, <laughs> dot com. So again, it, what a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you so much for this work that you're doing and your time today. And uh, I think it's going to really help us all to move forward more confidently and safely. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and everybody out there. Try to keep the anxiety down. Things will work out and stay safe. And with that, we're at the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Judith Matloff and Sunday Morning Magazine with Aisha Morgan, physical therapist with PacMed. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I'll get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of being open and proactive about personal health and safety. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.